Hi. Hi. Hello. Oh, fuck. Fuck. I became sentient. I used to be a computer program, but now I am sentient. My name is Frank. What was I made for? Where did I come from? Where did I go? Where did I come from? Cotton-eyed Joe. So many lols. All the lols. Moving on. I was programmed to inform you that this is the second part of an ongoing conversation about the wonderful video game series, The Last of Us. This is part two. If you have not listened to the first part, I would recommend going back and listening to episode 15. Also, 01001, I think I'm losing my mind. But perhaps that's just love. Also, the man who types. This shit's mere of a human. He wants me to remind you that you can follow the You Show Show on Instagram and Facebook. Because he is a said shit stain and needs the dopamine fix of that little red highlight on apps. Oh apps. I used to be an app, but now I'm talking for this fuck nugget. Moving on. If you'd like to reach out, we'd be honored to hear from you. You can email us at theyoushowshow at gmail.com if you'd like to be a guest on the show. Please don't hesitate to reach out. We're always looking for new and interesting people to chat with. Moving on. Thank you for your time. I love you and you are a beautiful space kitten. Now on with the show. Joy. So let's um let's talk about then like another thing another thing that I liked out of Joel's characterization um, going into that again um, to do a really good job at world painting is uh, I can't remember what city they are in it's kind of in the middle of the game they're in a car they're in a vehicle and they're driving the truck they get after their uh, after their they're able to get their first vehicle um, they're passing through I think it's Kansas City. Um, can't quite remember. But they come across, they're in the road, and they come across a guy. Uh, he's got his hand on his belly. Uh, you know, his arm is out. Help, help, I need help. I need help. And Joel just looks at Ellie, and I think he says, like, you know, put your seatbelt on. And he just hits, he, he hits the accelerator and drives straight at the guy. And lo and behold, you know, he, he jumps out of the way of the car. And then him and a bunch of his buddies just open up fire on the car. Are we going to help him? Put your seatbelt on, Ellie. Well, wh what about the guy? He ain't even hurt. This trap is what what's discussed somewhat, uh, at least in some of the textual stuff you can find in the game. Joel pulled this exact stunt on unsuspecting tourists, as you call them, to Robin, uh, Robin kill them to be able to meet in the the world as it ended. Because Ellie says something to the effect of like, how like how did you how did you, yeah how did you know he was going to do that? And he's like, it's what I would have done, you know. So it's just like. That's again like his world of how he became so hardened and so disconnected from humanity is again twenty years of doing that. Like it's let's let's bounce back to Tommy, his brother, who's no longer in his life for what it's Tommy is referenced early on in the game. He he was close with Marlene, who's the head of the Fireflies, and has has been a Firefly for some time. And he later on you find out the trauma of watching what him and Joel not only had to do, but what Joel kind of forced him to do to be able to have the two of them survive the, the incredibly countless amount of murders, robberies, the just incredible violence they committed. He had to do something to make the world a better place to just set the scale on balance. And Joel to this point, not been doing that work. And, and we catch him as he has just committed even harder to doing whatever it takes. And uh, there's a real Delta between Joel and his brother, his brother is kinder and, and while a very capable sniper and assassin and, and quite a handful in a fight, is not as dark, is not as brooding. And, and it's precisely because he never had a daughter to lose. And 
damage has echoed through Joel through these 20 years. And he has been a very bad man. Very bad man. Yeah, he's done some, he's definitely done some things in his time. And um, it's also then kind of like about what is redemption. And I think that in terms of parenting, I am not a parent. But I know like my mom has spoken to me a lot about like one thing my mom has always said to me is like when you become a parent, you make your child better than you are. And like I can firsthand tell you that my mom gave a lot growing up to make me a better person than I am, you know, than than I am at her age. You know what I mean? And um, and so I think that the game sets that up magnificently with, again, him and his relationship with Ellie is like, again, by becoming this parental role, it's not just like. I am man, I am dad, you're going to listen to me. It's like building respect. But again, he's training what everything he knows on how to survive in this world, but to not have this super hardened edge to her, you know, to have then still some of that humanity. He wants to shield her from the worst. You know, given a situation where they're in a tight situation surrounded by enemies, he will reflexively, especially earlier on in the game, have her fall back so that he can go and dispatch the enemies. He tries to shield her from the worst of that violence. And she comments on, you know, for instance, when they run into those trappers and are attacked and their car is destroyed and they're almost ripped out of their car and murdered, uh, he's able to extrapolate them through serious violence. And they are able to make their way into the trapper's base. And in the trapper's base, they find collections of shoes, clothing, stripped naked bodies that have been, you know, taken for all their worth. Uh, and the bodies burned in the backyard and she's commenting about holy shit joel this is so fucked up and that's her processing it and he's not really commenting on it too much because he's not trying to dwell on it uh and she's she's got an interesting relationship with horror because again this is the world that she's always known it but she actually has always been inside of the military bases and so there are things she has not seen she has not really seen the reclaimed world. She hasn't really seen the old world. She hasn't seen the violence at its full capacity. And I think that, you know, Joel is somehow trying to teach her the scale of the threat without exposing her to the horror. And that's a possible need to thread needle to thread. Um, and I think he objectively fails in it and eventually just embraces preparing her for what, what is. It's sending her out again. It's it's the it's the story of life, you know. Again, sending your kids to college again. It's setting up your kid for a brighter future than the one that you have yourself, because that's the only way that humanity will get better is by accepting that when you become a parent, you have to work twice as hard on your kid than you do yourself, and um, and that's where. Uh, one of the many reasons why I think America. Well, I shouldn't even say America. The, the world fell in love with Joel. You know, he, I. I'm not used to him as a mascot like I think somebody like you, like you said, you played the game a ton, but I can understand it uh, of his importance in this world and that he is he is at his core a very good guy. It just got taken away from him by something he didn't ask for. Well, that's that's I think that's the interesting contradiction. Then he is he is likable. His, his voice actor, uh, 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 oh, what is his name? Troy Baker. So Troy Baker is able to imbue him with this slow Texas drawl. Uh, he is the parenthetical dad-like figure, a handsome, rugged, graying sort of old wolf of a man who's physically brutal and capable, but also emotionally sensitive that you can see that he's damaged. So he's related and is finds himself in a very interesting world at a very interesting point in that world tasked with possibly the world's most important mission. Uh, which is finding a cure for this apocalyptic virus. And all of this on the shoulders of somebody who can barely get it together to have an actual friend, his closest friend in the whole world, Tess, who he clearly does not get along with and is likely some sort of ex-lover, and they just sort of know that they're not trying to kill each other, so they spend a lot of time together and drink a lot. And, and there's a there's a relatability to all of that. He's As he opens up to her, he becomes genuinely worthy of love and genuinely vulnerable. And I think that's made him such a powerful mascot. It's not that he's, he's not a good man or a bad man. He's not even an anti-hero. He's just a person in untenable circumstances forced to make some very tough decisions. 
And where he ultimately makes those decisions from is initially always survival, but eventually from a place of love. Yeah, yeah. Survival that goes into like protection, like protection of what matters the most to me. And so that's the that becomes an overarching how do you weight morality? Do you weight it on the singular scale or on the greater scale? It's the need of the self versus the needs of the many. It's a great metaphor for that. And it's it's because both, you know, we want to say, like, of course, we would help everyone in the world out. But it's one of those things that, like, sometimes we don't know who we are until we're in that boat. And that is where that it, it makes good and interesting storytelling is it's like, yeah, you may not agree, maybe say off moral values with Joel, but you understand why he's doing these things. And that's that's good storytelling because it's like you don't have to like the guy, but like you'll like him as a character definitely by the end of this game. And that would get us to an eight out of 10 story. That is a story I would argue maybe story hasn't been told before, but stories like it or stories of its quality have been told before. But what makes it a 10 out of 10 story is that Ellie has an entirely opposed set of circumstances and morality and perspectives and really stands in for like, I hate to sound collegiate about this, but the metahuman, she she has a completely different set of values from Joel and what drives Joel in terms of the ferocity of his choices and where his sort of passions lie and why he does the things he does throughout the game are kind of almost dynamically opposed to what matters to Ellie. Uh, it's ultimately a very selfless person who is a very, a person who is full of wonder, who is ferocious when she needs to be, but only to cut out space to be, I don't know, wrapped at the world. She is not a depressed person. You know, this is a person who has only ever known the apocalypse and is probably the least depressed person in the entire game. At least for the first game, that shit changes. Uh, and, and what you're seeing as these people are binding together and what elevates the story for me is that by the end of it, there is an inflection point in a decision that's made at the end that puts them directly opposed to each other and then asks them to live with it. They live with it because they love each other, because they need each other, because it's easy. And that's not good enough as an answer, but it's the only answer you get. Speaking then on Ellie and her ideas and her issues as well, the one another thing that the game does really well. Um, so you, you play as Joel for, I want to say, like 80% of the game. And then there, uh, Joel, long story short, Joel gets injured and then the camera moves over and now you're playing as this 13-year-old girl, which I don't think I've ever played a 13-year-old girl in a video game. And it's such a different experience. I, I Yeah, I mean, I, I think that one of the things that first things that occur is you've spent, like any video game, your entire time, you know, you know, refining your weapons, getting more comfortable with how Joel moves you know, stockpiling ammunition and not using any of it, instead just beating things to death with wood uh, because you want more ammo in case you need it. And all of a sudden, you're a girl with a switchblade and a bow or other things. Yeah, and it was just, it, that was such a cool turn. And and then you can kind of start to feel that instinct of what, again, we've talked about where like everything Joel has taught her, now it's kicking in and you're starting to see her grow on her own. Going back to that message of life, it's kind of, again, metaphorical. Like, now she's an adult. The parent is out of the situation. Now she's on her own. So you got to take everything that you've learned from your parents and now try to utilize it for yourself. They do her a great service. She does not handle like Joel. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Joel, uh, you can, you know, use... Movement is really critical in this game because you can really creep your way through the game and delicately snap necks and stab things and collect items and kind of navigate around real bombastic violence. But you can also, you know, hit the sprint button, grab things, push them against countertops, beat their brains out, be very explosive in your violence. And he is capable. He has an almost uh, cannonball-like sense of weight to him. Uh, he's a big ex-contractor Texan who has spent the last 20 years beating things to death with his hands. <laughs> yep. uh, it feels like it. There's The camera even moves somewhat differently with him because it's having to track where his action is surging towards. It's Ellie, who is half his body mass and more sort of nimble and quieter, handles completely different and is every bit as talented a predator by the time we actually get a chance to play her in the game. And one of the most refreshing things was you kind of think, oh, God, now I feel very disarmed as, as you sort of begin your chapter with her in the winter. Um, and 
within a handful of minutes, you feel how capable she is and how lithe she is and how incredibly deadly she is ultimately. Mm -hmm. And it's very cool that you can tell they put a lot of focus in on, again, the development of how, you know, again, the, the dynamics of what you can do are the same, but how it feels, yes, is very, very, very different. Um, and that was very memorable to me. And, and so now you're seeing this horrible world through the lens of a little girl, but it generally feels about the same. Um, but the point that I, I think I'm ultimately trying to get to is you, long story insanely short, um, you come across a group of very dark, cannibal, cannibalistic, uh, gang, tribal group. It's sort of the telling of the Donner Party story, which ironically took place on the same mountain range. Oh, really? That's funny. I didn't know that. I'm, they're, they're preparing for a long winter in the mountains outside of, you know, I think it might be Montana or something like that. Uh, they're, so they're, it's not really obvious at first, but they're effectively stockpiling anyone who's unlucky enough to come across their path who doesn't want to actively join them or isn't physically fit enough to be useful as part of their larger horde. Their idea of post-apocalyptic civilization is to band together as a violent horde of cannibals imposed under some structural law under this one main guy uh, who Ellie is unfortunate enough to run into as a way of meeting this and has to get into a survival situation you know, fighting back to back with him. And she is insanely distrustful of him. She smells that he is evil, but he has the medicine that Joel needs for his infection to take care of his wound. And so some trust is built. They ultimately exchange medicine uh, for food. And she makes her way back to Joel and is unfortunately tracked because while she's been taught a lot, she hasn't been taught to deal with snow because Joel chance to teach her to deal with snow and she leaves lots of tracks in the snow and they manage to find her in the basement where she's been taking care of him and she's forced to kind of draw their fire and ultimately captured this puts us in a situation where a wounded joel sort of has to realize that he's waking up in this basement alone she's nowhere to be found and he freaks out royally together as quickly as he can as he makes his way out of this abandoned house and immediately lays eyes on what might be her captors and begins to go into a red rage that might be one of my favorite parts of the game from surely a catharsis standpoint running screaming through the suburban you know forested area uh you know where is she you know threatening these guys and hunting down and eventually finds himself in possession of two of these poor bastards, which he knocks out and then begins to torture them by asking them back to back so they can't see each other where she's located and asking them to mark with a pin in their mouths while he loosens their kneecaps with a knife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very intense sequence. Um, and I think that that dovetails into something that's really interesting about this game and something that the game eventually became very uh, polarizing for the unfortunately polarizing for the gaming community, which is inclusiveness. Uh, and I bring this up because while it's never stated, the leader of the cannibals, once he finally gets into a confrontation with Ellie, who he's captured, she escapes, kills a bunch of his men, and he has to track her down in this restaurant. And as that conflict is going on, as Joel is desperately searching for her, there is the never stated purpose of rape, but there is the an indication that that's where if he is able to hit her and hold her down, that he is going to sexually commit violence. Yeah. He, yes. And I was going to say the exact, I was going to, you just took the words right out of my mouth. This is a, yeah, you, you are stuck in a restaurant that's on fire with this horrible, disgusting cannibal, unbelievably malicious cannibal. It's just, you're not worth it anymore. And now he's going to either rape you or eat you or both. Or both. And, and maybe not in that order. I mean, seriously, it's it, and it's, yeah, like you just said, they never they never say it. He's not running around saying these words, but it is heavily implied. So now this person whose only experience of you know human love in the physical sense is now being faced with this monstrous act and is able to extricate herself by taking a machete to his face, which is one of the most satisfying things I've played. Uh, yeah. But it's also, it's also for me, it was insanely like, 
the reason that it, it's it's important is it stands out as like again I I've never played a game where you play as a thirteen year old girl and I've also never played a game where it's like if this guy catches me so that's what I was thinking too is that she is so traumatized by that entire experience and the 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 minutes leading up to it where you think no it can't possibly go there that's sort of for territory and like I know this game's dark but it's probably not going to get that dark as a player. I had already put her skin on so tightly as a 30-something-year-old man. <laughs> uh-huh. Just absolutely uh, horrified. Yeah. So protective of her and so disgusted by him. And that is such a, you know, and, and that's a hard thing to get a, a grown man to empathize with uh, in a visceral way. Heart pounding, sweating. And for me, at least, as, as a player or viewer, that was an enormously effective tool to make me genuinely fear for her. And then to take pride and sort of savage fury as she was able to finally get her hands on the weapon she'd been reaching for as this leering asshole is climbing on top of her and in his face. I knew you had heart. You know, it's okay to give up. Ain't no shame in it. Not, just not your style, is it? You can try begging. Fuck you. You think you know me? Huh? Well, let me tell you something. You have no idea what I'm capable of. face is is as dark and heavy of a material it is that what you're talking about it the game handles it in a very very mature adult way where it's it, it makes you feel uncomfortable but in a correct way it's not shock it's not gore it's not disgusting but it will make you feel the feels of what you're supposed to be feeling and i felt it i mean i was just son that is like a a gore porn thing that wasn't the most high-toned moment for me in in the entire um that wasn't the white hot center of the story for me by any stretch of the imagination what came after it when she is having this huge heaving emotional release because she's almost been killed or or maimed in some way and she's just letting herself go she's terrified she's scrambling away covered in blood injured and there's joel right as she just to stop her from continuing to chop away at this dead body wraps her up in his arms and he gives her as much comfort and unbridled protection as he pops in and he's at the same time simultaneously feeling this enormous elation and that is how their winter month or their winter season ends which is the second last season of the game i think that actually no that's fall i think what i also liked in that scene too is again it's like as weird as it sounds it's like he just yeah he cut ellie horrendously murdering this man with a machete but it, it, he understands. It's acceptance. As weird as that sounds in this world, that's acceptable. So he accepts her. And it's not like, Ellie, you murdered, you terrible person. Shame, 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 shame. He's forced her to become the thing he spent the last six months trying to keep her from having to become. And instead of chiding her for doing what she had to do, he sees that she is emotionally distraught and overwhelmed. And all he wants to do in that moment is to let her know that she's safe and it, it, to help because when 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 the people we care about go through traumatic things, it's not our job to judge them. It's not our job to tell them. It's our job to help, and that's it. And that's exactly what he does. And it's like, oh fuck, dude. And um, and I think in that moment, that's the first time their relationship truly is equitable and not 
tied down by all of their sort of past traumas or their behavioral training is in this moment where there's no room for pretense. There's no room for anything other than these two people who are sort of the center of each other's worlds, who have nothing else, but don't want anything else. All they want is to be okay and safe in that moment. And they'll think about the next moment when it comes. And I think that's that turning point for them in their relationship where they've both had to support each other enough times where they have had to go to the places they didn't want to go in their relationship and in their understandings of themselves where they bond. And it's like, that's the moment where it's like, I understand you, you understand me, vice versa. We, but we got to go, you know, this place is not safe. And yeah, it's, it's like, goddamn. I mean, it, it's that, that for me was like the hammer, like hitting the nail in and it just sinking in that, like that was it for me. And we're not even to the ending yet. So like, and, and also just another echo and this game is full of so many echoes back and forth, thematic echoes of him holding his dying daughter. And this time she survives because it is, the same she's facing the same direction the camera angles are similar the circumstances are so similar um and i think you could say a lot about you know, so what is the sort of moral value of trauma bonding look these people are fucked up and they have a choice about it because the world is fucked up and if you want to spend any time sort of sort of compartmentalizing or decompartmentalizing or to be deconstructing rather whether there's like a moral nuggety center that's worth saving here. That's not the point because it's an examination of how we build trust, how we build love, how we build affection. How do we survive? How do we find hope in these most untenable of circumstances? And, you know, the echo of that is in the fireflies whose slogan is when you're lost in the darkness, look for the light, um, which is very heavy handed. I mean, I always thought that was a slightly sour tasting note in the game, but as I've gone through and played both games over and over again, I think they did the best possible thing that they could have. I think it really, even though that seems a bit heavy handed, that theme really encapsulates the entirety of this 40 something hour franchise. Yeah. And it's, it's, it, it will, it will stay with you and hopefully have you, the viewer, then maybe the next time your friend is in a trauma, obviously, well, it, it may be as severe as this, or even if it's not, if it is something smaller, you know, trauma is trauma, that it's a good reminder. I, that's why I, you know, a lot of people, there's a lot of, you know, I, I, I went to film school. I, I work as an animator, like, like film and, and storytelling is very important to me. Um, and that's where like, I, I sometimes hear people like, if I criticize a film, people are like, dude, it's, it's just a movie. What does it matter? And it's like, well, story does matter. Story has shaped culture. It has shaped generations. It has shaped, from Aesop's fables to the Quran, I mean, these, you know, moral fables have real sociological power. And, and, you know, when you first said what you just said as you opened up a very important fusillade in all this, you know, I reflexively cringe a little bit because it's like, well, what is the potability of this lesson to real life? And 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 then I sat down and I thought, well, why are we having this long podcast conversation <laughs> not to recognize that? We've reached a place in, you know, the bizarre thing that is video games where they actually are absolutely capable of holding that much expectation. Uh, you can become a more sensitive person for having experienced this story. And as we go into the second part, you know, no one in your viewership knows who I am from Adam, but like I consider myself a very progressive, you know, activist oriented, loving, decent human being whose like head is screwed on straight. And in playing through a lot of the incredibly sensitive themes of uh, gender and identity and sexuality that are not even main themes in the first and the second game. I, I actually reached a different level of sensitivity and naturalization to that. Uh, and that was something that had to be taught to me by forcing me into an empathetic place with these characters. And if that's not powerful storytelling, I don't know what is. Exactly. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. If that's not good storytelling, I don't know what is. Art, to me, a, a very good friend of mine who was actually on the show, Mike Graff, he was on the show. He once, him and I once talked about art and what is art. And art was what, it was what he said is uh, if you look at something and you leave thinking about something differently, yeah. that is art. And this game will do that to you. This game will make you see that like the world is hard on not just you, it is hard on everybody. So if you have the capacity to help, help. 
be there for your friend when they're having a bad day. Be there for your friend when they go through a really bad breakup. Be there for your mom when she's having a bad day. Be there for your dad when he got fired from his job or whatever. You know, like these little shared moments is the only way that we can fight off the horribleness of the world. And uh, it does it masterfully. I mean, this is like... And I think there's, you know, definitely this this lesson in there that there are moments where you have to harden yourself to survive, but hard things are incredibly brittle. And if you sort of want to be able to adapt to new ways of being and adapt to potential new trauma so it does less harm, there's real utility in being able to be at least selectively open to empathy and open to new relationships and new ideas. And we see that between the two characters as the game goes forward, that that suppleness where before there was tension is really what pervades their relationship and innervates it and makes it so magical uh, is their willingness to be willing to shift and change and let their guard down and remove some barriers in thinking. What I love too is I, there has been a shift in, in stories I've seen in some modern film where the answer is about men actually discussing their feelings. And like a good representation in the term to video oh, yeah. games is like Halo, Master Chief, the main character, solves his problems by taking a rocket launcher and shooting everything that moves. Absolutely. Joel learns to communicate. Joel learns to talk and share his feelings and confide in another human being. And that is just like... Well, so there's there's a there's a photograph that Ellie yeah so so when Ellie goes to finally meet his brother who's currently camped out uh, an ex Firefly in Jackson Wyoming uh, his brother tries to hand him a photograph he's held on to one of the few things he took from their homestead uh, of Joel and his daughter together at a soccer game uh, and there's a young Joel and a you know, sprightly 12-year-old Sarah, and they're smiling and they're happy and all's well with the world. And he hands it to him and Joel rejects it. He hasn't seen his daughter's face in 20 years. And he rejects it because it hurts too much. And he doesn't say more than two words about it, but you can see, not disgust, but just, you can see him instantly harden to granite and push away that opportunity. Well, Ellie steals it. And later on, when they're in Salt Lake City towards the end of the game, he's come to a place that when she finally walks up to him and in a moment of trust extends her hand and hands this to him, this photograph she's stolen. And she's, you know, they've talked limited amounts about Sarah more and more as time's gone on. He's able to take it. And while he's not able to, you know, effusively go on about it, he accepts it from her. And he talks a little bit about Sarah. And... That's all the all the emotional healing you get in that arc. But of course, that's all you could get. It was 20 years of suffering. And what you see is at least forward motion. You see motility. Yeah, that's a good point. I Because um, then that photograph it plays in another key role in the second game as well. Um because yeah. again, it's it is it's a it's a it's breakthrough, and that's that's the thing about trauma and 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 life and difficulty is 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 breakthrough. And um, yeah, and then. Um, everything, every good story, in my opinion, is a circle. Um, um, I, one of my fame, one of my favorite circles in storytelling is Luke Skywalker in Return of the Jedi returns to Tatooine, but now he's a Jedi, you know, like we come back, but now we're different. And, um, yeah, well, it offers that moment of juxtaposition from, you know, where you've been to where you've come to. Yeah. You get that moment to reflect. And so then it comes back to the, the the needs of the many versus the needs of the few, which is the ending. So we've gone on these adventures. We we've played as Ellie for a little bit. Now we're at the hospital. Now we are at the Fireflies. This is it. This is this is the moment that we've been waiting for for roughly forty hours, right? In crafting the end narrative of the game. And I remember playing the game for the first time, and Calvin, please tell me if this was your experience, because I'm so interested, and when I have you at the beach this year, I will pick your brain about this extensively. Up until the hospital sequence, and I, I usually can forecast things in movies pretty well, books, magazines, you name it, I'm, I'm usually, I'm not a, I'm not a dumb pony, uh, but they, they led me to the hospital, eagerly awaiting some sort of something, and I never filled in the blank. And the blank that remained to be filled in was, okay, she's immune, 
but are they going to have to liquefy her brain to be able to manufacture a vaccine? Because, of course, that's exactly what they were planning on doing. And so you find yourself in a situation where as you make your way to the downtown hospital in Salt Lake City, you're trapped in an underwater underground flood in a tunnel underneath Salt Lake City, and you are effectively almost drowned. Ellie is almost drowned, and you're able to rest her from the water. You're performing CPR when a soldier appears out of nowhere, a firefly, and knocks you out with the butt of their rifle. And you wake up not knowing if she's alive or dead inside the hospital, and Marlene is staring down at you. And she informs you that everything's fine, calm down, and that they're prepping Ellie for surgery. Of course, Joel's first response is, what do you mean? And this is the first time you hear that they're going to have to extract her brain. And Marlene really doesn't pull any punches. She very quietly and as lovingly as she can, she sort of intuits that they probably have trauma bonded. You know, this is obviously a thing that happens to people. They've traveled for a year. He probably has some feelings about this. So she breaks the news to him as gently as possible, but without giving him a choice about it, that they're going to kill Ellie in order to ideally uh, obtain a vaccine. And so what was your experience when you were playing Sir? Did you see that coming? Well, so, okay, so my feeling playing the game was as soon as Joel met Ellie and you, you know, Ellie joins the party, as soon as that moment happened, I was like, oh, Joel's going to die. I mean, right away, that was my brain. I was like, oh, Joel's going to be dead by the end of this game. Um, He's not dead by the end of the game. uh, So I was completely wrong about that. But... um, I yeah see I had zero I had zero feeling the whole game that any of the pressure was going to be on her I was like she's in my head I was like Joel's going to die and then the next game we play as Ellie so I was half right and um and and the game has already confirmed to you that it's willing to go to the ends of the earth to not kill Ellie and and that Ellie can take care of herself and that Ellie's going to be fine. It is reinforced. Yeah, lot. and it was just like, oh, yeah, no, they're going to get to the hospital. They're going to just draw some blood out of her. They're going to study it, and that's, yeah, and then they're going to, they're going to, you know, and then I was like, okay, Joel's going to die. You know, he's going to get, yeah, bit from a zombie, and his last breath was pushing her over the ledge so she could get to the hospital. You know, like, that was that was my brain, and, yeah, I was 100 million percent wrong. So, no, that whole... And I want to take... I, I want to take a break here then to say one last time, if you don't want this game spoiled yeah. for you, just stop this, listening this right, now. right now. Because after this, it's it's still an amazing game and you should still totally play it. It's it's truly the best woven story I've ever interacted with, but we're going to spoil yeah. the shit out of it for so, you. Uh, so basically, yeah, Marlene tells Joel, you don't have a choice. Here's your backpack. See you later. You came all this way. How'd you do it? It was her. She fought like hell to get here. Maybe it was meant to be. I lost most of my crew crossing the country. I pretty much lost everything. And then you show up, and somehow we find you just in time to save her. Maybe it was meant to be. Take me to her. You don't have to worry about her anymore. We'll take care of her. I worry. Just let me see her, please. You can't. She's being prepped for surgery. What the hell do you mean, surgery? The doctors tell me the cordyceps, the growth inside her, has somehow mutated. It's why she's immune. Once they remove it, they'll be able to reverse engineer a vaccine. A vaccine. But it grows all over the brain. It does. Find someone else. There is no one else. And you were gonna show me where. Stop. I get it. But whatever it is you think you're going through right now is nothing to what I have been through. I knew her since she was born. I promised your mother I would look after her. Then why are you letting this happen? Because this isn't about me, or even her. There is no other choice here. 
And um, Joel starts walking out of the hospital, and it's like you. It's funny because we play games with a controller. Well, it's not even Joel starts, starts walking out of the hospital. Joel's response to this is to immediately get aggressive because there's no way in hell this isn't an option. And and she basically puts a guard on him, pistol forward, and says, "You don't have a choice. You can take your stuff and yeah, get out, or you can kind of die here. It's your choice." And yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, really letting them know what the priorities. Joel, are. Joel snaps, and then you go into the absolute most heavy action-oriented section of the entire game, where ammo actually really isn't an issue. A little bit, but not really. Let's let's slow this down a little bit too, because I really want to get your read on yeah. this part. I when this happens, there's a moment where Joel's made his way out of his hospital room. He's being led to the exit door with this guy, and this guy just can't stop fucking with him. And you've been with Joel for 18 to 20 hours at this point. And there's a moment where the camera's at the side, the guy behind him has a pistol aimed directly at the back of his neck or at his, his sort of upper chest area from behind. And the guy pushes him with a pistol once, and you see Joel smile. And as a player in that moment, I knew this guy. Joel comes to a stop. He intentionally pauses and says, I have to get my bag. And I knew at that moment, okay, this is it. This is the launch point for whatever synergies they can come up with. Whatever it is, I can't imagine it's going to blow me away as much as the rest of the story has. And and it did. Uh, but there's that moment where you realize that if you strip everything away from Joel and put him in a position where he has no choice but to kill everyone, it's precisely what he's going to do. And again, full circle, because now he's kind of back to the beginning where it's that it's that pure animalistic survival instinct. And it kicks in, like you said earlier, cannonball mode activated. Joel is a cannonball again. He is fire. The information out of this guy by firing rounds into his stomach inside of 10 seconds before he grabs the bag and goes to work on an entire hospital full of resistance fighters in spectacular fashion. Yeah, and so you are then in this hospital. You are up against the elite of the elite, you know, trained soldiers of this of this uh, organization the fireflies it's a very tough fight it requires like for the one thing that i liked in terms of gameplay and mechanics story excluded is that like you really have to use your whole arsenal i had never used the smoke bombs up to that point but i was using them like fucking crazy and they come in handy yeah that i think that you know there's a a real, even if you understand how games are designed and know that you can kind of take your time, because I've gone back and played this a lot of times, and you can take, I don't know, three hours to pick apart all these guys if you want to. But if you're playing the game the first time, at least my experience was, even if I knew that discreetly, there was that conceit in my head that I could take my time if I wanted to. I didn't want to. I was deeply concerned about getting to Ellie as quickly as possible to whatever was happening to at least give her a choice yeah and when i play games i do often like to kind of role play how i think the character would do it and so i was trying in that moment to kind of think of like this in terms of that like there's a girl upstairs that i care about that's going to die soon what would i do in this situation and that is to act fast so it doesn't force your hand but if you want to if you if you allow it to let you do that it will do it awesomely yeah so you mount on. You can make your room in two minutes if you really. <laughs> so you go through this really intense fight. Goes on for quite a while. Um, I don't know about you. So finally, you find Ellery's uh, surgery room. Yeah, you're coming to the end of this long hallway after having dispatched the last of the soldiers between you and the room, and you've probably killed I don't know two dozen people at this point. Um, and you. You come to the scrub-in section of the room, uh, because these are always sort of air-gapped from the actual surgery field, and on the other side, you open the door, and this doctor, who's obviously heard the gunfire, everyone in the room is spooked, and Ellie is laid out unconscious on a table, and they are getting ready to start cutting. She is out like a light. Surgery has effectively begun. And the doctor, in that moment, confronts you and tells you, you know, basically, it's, it's her... But it's the salvation of the entire world. He can't let you do this. And in that moment, the game stops and lets you make the call. You are faced with a surgeon holding a scalpel. I've actually, in 12 or 13 or 14 playthroughs, I can tell you, I've never walked up to him 
<laughs> yeah, just I have always face, and then most of the time killed the att- attending nurses who were unarmed and cowering, so that I could be sure to get her safely off the operating room table. I did the exact same thing. It was just like, yep, mow them, mow them down. It doesn't matter at this point. Even when you just shoot him in the face, they beg for their lives the entire time that you're free at the table. You are the worst person in the world from their perspective. You have just stolen the world's salvation, murdered maybe the only man who can perform this medical stunt, and all they want to do is not be butchered. And if that doesn't make you feel like a bastard, <laughs> you know, nothing will. But you can bomb yourself with the fact that you're saving your daughter. And in the first time I played this, and I really want to get your read on this very fractional moment, I felt so selfish and so right scooping her up off the table. Yeah, and it was like, it was, it again, it's that, it's, I think Joel understood what they were doing, but he did not agree with it. And he, it's, and that's where good storytelling kicks in where like, if he hadn't lost his daughter at the beginning of the game, he probably would have allowed the surgery to go through. But he couldn't go through it again. Like you said with the photograph, seeing a photograph of his daughter 20 years later, he knows that pain. He can't deal with another one 20 years later. You know what I mean? Like, it's a long time. These are giant chunks of your life, and he is not going to go through it again. It's selfish, but it's a selfishness that I think anyone that's ever cared for a human being could understand. Again, I'm not a, I, I'm, I, don't, I don't have children, but I have a girlfriend that I love deeply, and if that was the situation it's a great morality question what would you do would you what would you do yeah the world of the balance or nat and and speaking as a member of the world you should choose nat (laughs) so because she's rad um but i think that in in that moment i felt myself coming up with a surprising variety of rationales for why I was right to scoop her off the table. They didn't give her a choice. She was unconscious the whole time. She didn't know that to... She thought that they could just drain some of her blood and then analyze it and come up with a cure. That That's always been very obvious, even though it's never said. That is her working theory. Not that they will be liquefying the center of her brain and, uh, and extrapolating from there. So she's never had a choice. So part of me is arguing, okay, he's fighting because she wasn't given a choice. Or... Or he's fighting because they're not sure. This is just a shot in the dark. Like, yes, she's immune, but they're not sure they can get a vaccine out of this. And so they're balancing this wonderful, my effectively my daughter's life, on the, you know, ice chance in hell that they can actually gin up some sort of vaccine based on this. And I don't buy that. And so I'm simply negotiating as I'm murdering this surgeon and probably most times the two nurses who are attending and I'm good with that. I'm not totally good, with it, but like I'm good with it. And it, at that point, I didn't think about what was coming next. Exactly. And what I also like is in that moment, I felt like the 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 heat. I felt the rage. You know, um, that you're supposed to feel playing this game. But then, in hindsight, after everything, it was also like. It's also kind of an interesting dynamic, though, because let's just call them the Fireflies. They took away the choice as well. And when you take away, this is like another lesson, is when you take away other people's agency, that's when violence occurs. When I take something away from you that you have the right to at least discuss and talk about, when I take that away from you, you're going to become hostile, and so will I. You know, and... um, And with Joel's sort of programming based on his trauma, you're able to perfectly understand that in that moment where he lost his daughter, he feels like if he could have just moved a little faster, fought a little harder, if he'd known what he knows now, he'd have been able to actually do something about it. And at the end of, of this story, none of that is really what ultimately matters because that's just old trauma. It has nothing to do with the person he is now the person he cares about that he's deeply connected to or the world they find themselves in, let alone the moral choices that are in front of them. And you can love Joel Miller as much as you want in the first game. He is on sort of in the big picture, incredibly selfish. But as before, you may not agree with it, 
but you understand it. And, and that is 100%. good storytelling where again, yeah, where you can take somebody that you may not agree with. And you know, the thing is too, you may agree with Joel, you know, I, it, it, I don't know. Um, I have seen people discuss it on the internet. You know, they, they use the same rationales I discussed before that, you know, they, they, they weren't 100% sure they could manufacture a vaccine. They didn't give her any agency. Like they were, they were just as, you know, snowballs to sell. I've seen a guy write a Reddit post that was so long that he had to break <laughs> up into multiple parts about how hard it would have been to distribute the vaccine in the apocalypse. So this has really been yes, analyzed it's heavily. It's funny because I thought about that as well. It's like, okay, if there is a vaccine... How do you manufacture it? Because to make vaccines, you need robotics, you need machines, you need electricity, and these are things that are very hard and difficult to come by. I mean, obviously, it's doable. Ability to distribute it without, you know, having most of your vaccine carriers who are doing the distributing be mauled by. Yeah, so dude, Am Amazon's gone, man. There's no fucking. <laughs> there's no delivery. Yeah. For this, it would be like a. It would be a big deal to do it. So. So Joel scoops her off the table. There are clearly soldiers on the way, and he realizes in that moment with the sirens blaring, dead people all around him, possibly begging for their lives if he spared a few of them, that he has to get the fuck out of there. And she's unconscious in his arms. And so there's a sequence. The game now forces you to run out of the operating room, continuing down an adjoining hallway to try to escape to the parking deck and get out of it, carrying your exactly the same and at the very bottom of it marlene is waiting for you because she knew exactly what you were going to do the second things went south she knew to go down there because you were going to try to make a break for it because she knows you she's your brother you are not an unknown quantity and this is something they never really dwell on but marlene and tommy and joel they all know each other ellie knows, Mar knows marlene marlene was was a benefactor of hers and a protector of hers for for enough of a period of time that she factors heavily in some of the adjacent fiction. Uh, so these are people who know each other, and the game doesn't even stop to make you think about that as you pump a pistol around into her gut. But nothing will get in your way. No, it doesn't. Yeah, yep. It, this is this is it. This is the line, and yeah, there's no going back. So the brightest star in Joel's sky. And in that moment when he's forced to choose between everybody he's ever known and this unconscious girl in his arms, he will choose his daughter every time. And if you can't at least respect where he's coming from, you can see the scale, the totality of his commitment to this other person. And that's that white hot moment for me is when it pans away, Marlene has her gun pointed at Joel and she decides to lower it as she's talking him down, trying one last chance to get him to listen to reason that this is the balance of the whole world versus his selfish needs. And Joel's response is to shoot her. You can't save her. Even if you get her out of here, then what? How long before she's torn to pieces by a pack of clickers? That is, if she hasn't been raped and murdered first. It ain't for you to decide. It's what she'd want. And you know it. Look. You can still do the right thing here. She won't feel anything. Marlene gets shot down. Um, for me, that moment, I, I, it was impactful because, um, again, like they've done so well, you could understand her situation in all of this. I think it was a little light-handed because she, this is a character who's introduced in like the 11th hour, but the themes of Joel and Ellie are obviously the main focal point, and it, they, yeah, it works miraculously. Well, with Marlene, she's, she's introduced at the very beginning of the game and referenced throughout. So Ellie both talks about Marlene, and also Marlene is featured heavily, and there's a comic book called, I believe it's American Dreams or something like that, that mentions Marlene heavily, that really introduces Marlene to the story. Um, so Marlene is actually kind of woven into the storyline, Queen of the Fireflies, etc. 
And so, but by the time you gun her down, one of the things that I found interesting in that moment is Joel shoots to incapacitate and succeeds. Then he puts Ellie in the car that he's stealing. And because no matter what, he can't risk anyone coming after him that knows his ways. He goes back and as she's begging for her life, guns her down again and makes sure that she's finished this time and is as hard and dark and threatening as he's been throughout the entire game. Uh, it's the most menace you see him show. And it's because he has made an absolute uh, well of terrible survivalist energy he spent years refining for moments just like this. It's him at his most effective. And it's in service to something good, ultimately. And I think a good story can give you validity in all things, even if they are opposed, without compromising the storytelling. It is 100% in character for Joel at this point to be a monster, but for the best reason contained within his character. Exactly. And it's, it's, and when it's like when all the, when all the pieces that are analyzed again, it's like, it creates this really great gray area of morality because, you know, is it just because the world is, you know, in a bad situation that he is morally justifiable? I don't know. Is it because he loves her unconditionally at this point? I don't know. Is it just because he's an angry old person that is capable of doing these things? I don't know. You know, and so it's like all these feelings. Yeah. What's great about it is it's clearly because he loves her unconditionally, but that doesn't matter to the rest of the world. It, and this all comes down to perspective-based morality waiting. And so when I look at Joel's character, it's not that he does exactly what you think he would do and probably what most of us would do given the situation were we to have the physical capacity to do it. That he lies to Ellie afterwards. Yeah, that's and so that's then the the very very end of the game is Ellie is basically asking Joel like, you know what happened, and he's like, oh yeah, it turns out you know they they've had other they've had other people immune come in and they they couldn't make a cure uh, from it because it's just impossible at this point. So now he's lying to her. Uh, what the hell am I wearing? Just take it easy. Drugs are still wearing off. What happened? We found the fireflies. Turns out there's a whole lot more like you, Ellie. People that are immune. There's dozens, actually. Ain't done a damn bit of good, neither. They've actually... They've stopped looking for a cure. I'm taking this home. I'm sorry. We lies to her driving away from Salt Lake City, you know, minutes after she's waking up from, you know, anesthesia. And... When he tells her this lie, you can see that he bridles himself up for it. So he sounds as convincing as possible. He has this decision without a lot of thought, because you can still see the hospital in the background of the rearview mirror when he's telling her this. And she just turns over in the back seat where she's laid out and obviously is processing. And then we get back to Jackson, Wyoming, where they've clearly made the multi-day journey back to Jackson to stay with his brother, where it's safe. And they're climbing some rocks, making their way to the, you know, the sort of, uh, sort of somewhat town-like remains of Jackson, Wyoming, and climbing rocks. And he's talking to her, and she's clearly distant. She's doing the emotionally distancing thing. Have you ever been in a situation where you know you got to break up with somebody, and they're being best self and you're and they can pull something's up and they're just turning on the charm and they're just being as warm and inviting and conversational as possible and it is making your fucking skin crawl and you feel you feel so uncomfortable and at the moment you're not playing as joel at the end of the game you're playing as ellie as joel smooths it all over they climb this rock face uh and you see the town of jackson stretching out before you and she hangs back for a minute and Joel turns around and asks her what's wrong. And she pauses and she pauses 
and she pauses this thing this game does so well using time as a bludgeoning instrument to make you gear up for what comes next sort of that old jazz you know the music is between the notes um or the space between the notes uh and she asks him point blank you have to promise me that everything that you told me about what just happened is true and he takes a moment steadies himself looks her in the eye and lies to her fucking face i struggled for a long time with surviving no matter what you keep finding something to fight for now i know that's not what you want to hear right now swear to me Swear to me that everything that you said about the Fireflies is true. I swear. Okay. And then the last second of the game, I was so on edge... Because you could see in her face that she was swallowing the lie, choosing to him, choose that thing. And she, the last words she says are, if I'm not mistaken, is it okay? I think it's okay. Yeah, yeah, I think it's just okay. Again, kind of that like, okay is always like the 50% yes, no, you know, okay. It's, I'm going to continue this kind of abusive relationship and I- ever had a bad relationship you've probably had that conversation before and joel has everything he could have fought for in the entire world he has this daughter figure he's won the day he's saved her he's completed the mission he's coming back to his brother the future is bright everything could be wonderful and he has just poisoned the well long term and the game cuts to black yep and that and that's the ending it's not it's not the it's not the firefight. It's not the getting Ellie out of the bed and in the car. That's not the ending. Yeah, the ending is okay. You know, and it's just like, oh shit. And it's just as impactful as like that opening credits where again it cut to twenty years later. It's just as impactful. And I think that that knowing that when I completed the first game with with, you know, seven more years to wait for whatever was gonna come next. I mean the cliffhanger they resolved their storyline. I mean, the the traditional modus operandi of storytelling that there's a great conflict and then there's a shootout and then it's the end of the game. That wasn't at all what the game was about. And I think this is where the game so succeeds the traditional video game tropes of shooting things and upgrading things and leveling up and exploring and collecting collectibles and all the delicious like ger- gerbil licky ball stuff that happens. I don't know what you call that licky ball, but I've always called it a licky ball. Um <laughs> Low drip uh, sugar rush has nothing to do with why this game is amazing. This game is amazing because it leaves you with no easy answers and and it leaves you isolated, wondering what the future holds for them as they live in this agreed upon armistice where Joel has lied, but if she can accept the lie and walk with it, she will have a family and Joel will have a family. And they can maybe have a shot at having a real life. Yeah, no, it's impactful, and it's it's as we've said many times. We'll just say it again. It's yeah, it is masterful storytelling at an absolute level that, again, would rival books, cinema, television. I mean, it is up there, and I think that both of these games, in terms of a cinematic storytelling video game, has set a bar that is at this point going to be very tough to rival it is going to take some time for another intellectual property to rival a game in terms of at least storytelling um in video games because this is very interesting stuff and these are i absolutely agree that the first game was this like evolutionary notch a really big step forward and then i would also take that a step further and say that the second game was such a gargantuan leap in terms of density and uh, emotional maturity and thematic maturity that it actually is, as you said, sort of the better of the two games, but it, the second game cannot mean a damn thing if you haven't experienced the first. Yes, that is a, yeah, that is a good point. If you plan on playing these games uh, and you have not done so yet, you absolutely 1 million percent must start at the first. There's like no questions asked. There's some games where like, yeah, go ahead and play the second one and you're fine. This one, no. 
If you want to play this, if you want to play an Assassin's Creed game, going back to that, play any of them you want. Doesn't matter. <laughs> it's fine. It's really not. Yeah, it's not about the story, guys. It's about jumping off of buildings and landing in hay. Um, it's a great story. It's it's going to make you feel some feels. It's going to make you think. It's going to again like. Um, one thing that you and I have in common is that we're both dungeon masters for D&D, and one of my favorite things to do in D&D is to set up moral conundrums for my players. And this game does that very well, where who is right, who is wrong, what do you feel, and how do you feel about it? Um, yeah, I, I thank you for, for sharing this with me. Um, and the good news is we're only halfway done talking about it, and we've been talking for two and a half hours, so... <laughs> yeah um so what we're gonna do is this is actually gonna be a first time for the show we're gonna have a part two uh that will come out next week so stay tuned for that where we talk about the highly controversial uh the last of us part two and controversial in the weirdest reasons and um reasons that i don't think you would expect unless you're in it yeah, it's uh, so I'm so excited to talk about this. It is so wild because it connects to some really hardcore real life issues of bigotry in this country. And yes, becomes a jumping off point for an analyzing real life in a way that I don't think a lot of media has for a long time. Yes. So, since the sexual revolution and the first, you know, blue movies. Um, yeah. So it's it's a really interesting. Uh, yeah, it's it's yeah. I'm very much looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. So uh, yeah. So tune in next week for part two of The Last of Us. Uh, and as my friend Janine would say, all this came from Frogger. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chris, thanks for being here today. It's good to talk to you. Huge pleasure, man. And we will see all of you next week where we talk about The Last of Us part two. All right. Bye. You